gist of it. We know that right now, just, just the human condition, just the fallenness of humanity, every single one of us is suffering in some way, shape, or form. And every day we're closer and closer to it. You know, but there's this, this suffering that we know uh, that points us to Christ, the one who suffered for us. And uh, what I hope to open up in this text this morning is just how Christ and his suffering uh, just really points us to, to suffer well. And that's what the Christian does, right? We suffer with dignity. We suffer well. We suffer without groaning, without grumbling. We suffer with hope. And that's what I'd like for us to see this morning. So this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So if you could please your t- turn your Bibles uh, to there now. And if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles, this is going to be, if you give me just a moment, on page, uh, f- Ooh, here we go, I guess it doesn't say, so, 2 Corinthians, after 1 Corinthians, so if you can find that one, you can turn to this. So there's the words of Paul, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, that is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Thanks be to God, indeed, and I'm thankful that you can hear me now. So in a standalone sermon like this, we're picking up just in the middle of a a book. I'd like to give some context always just to make sure that we're we're understanding rightly. We know that the correct way to interpret Scripture is to simply just let it interpret itself. So we go to places where Scripture is brought to be more clear than others. And context is absolutely key in our understanding. So in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he offers stunning rebukes for the Corinthians' unfaithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians, he says this is a severe letter, and he understands that he uh, just caused tremendous grief among that church. So this was a sick church that was filled to the brim with false teaching. But, thankfully, by the grace of God, And through the encouragement and the help and the teaching of Paul, eventually that sick church in Corinth would repent of their sinful errors. Now the second letter to the Corinthians is a letter of thankfulness from Paul's heart for their genuine repentance. The second letter from Paul to this church is to share with them them the gladness of his heart because this repentance and to provide encouragement through the understanding of divine comfort, And how God's strength is manifested in human weakness. It's an extremely emotional letter. And in it we find, just as the original audience did, that we are exhorted to simply suffer well. Paul uses his own suffering in his life and his ministry to experientially demonstrate what this truly means. That we are not to despair or to grow weary. Or is to use... And in his own words in verse 16, that we're not to lose heart. So let's look at verse 16. 
Verse 16 begins with a conjunction, this word so. This can also be translated because of which or therefore. And anytime as we see a conjunction such as this, we must see what happened before these verses to understand what he's talking about in this one. So there's a necessary precondition that Paul is begging us to understand, and he mentions this in the preceding verses. So let's look, just briefly look at verses 7 through 11, and I think we'll, we'll understand exactly what Paul's getting at here and why he says that he does not lose heart. And he says, beginning in verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, at this time, Paul was facing many false apostles and false gospels of his age. During his ministry, there's these accusations that he was receiving from these false apostles saying that Paul was, in his suffering, was supposedly an indicator that God truly wasn't blessing him. It kind of sounds a lot like this uh, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that we see preached today, don't we? Where these preachers, these charlatans, truly, are preaching a false gospel of physical and external prosperity rather than the inward riches that true believers receive through faith in Christ and through repentance. You see, Paul equates the suffering that he endured in his ministry with the very suffering of Christ himself. Not that it was somehow equal with Christ's. You know, he didn't atone for anyone's sin, but his suffering was helping him to identify in Christ. And just as we suffer, our suffering helps us to identify ourselves with Christ. He notes later on in chapter 12, verse 10, where he talks about how he draws the very strength that he has from Christ. And he says there, therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. And everybody knows the end of this. He continues and says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So here we get this understanding from Paul that this identification that he has with Christ's own suffering and weakness is where he draws his own strength from. And for us, we have no strength to get through the weaknesses and difficulties and afflictions that we face just on our own strength. We need the strength of someone else. So as one theologian of old has said, we can undergo the plundering of all earthly goods and all the worst afflictions, even the most dreadful death with a calm mind. See, that's what it means to suffer well. And this captures the essence of what it means to suffer and not lose heart. This means we suffer and we endure with a calm mind, realizing that the strength we have in suffering comes from the one who suffered for us. Paul continues and he explains how this is possible. 
He says, though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Now here he captures two realities. One, that there is an outer self, and two, that there is an inner self. Now some have said that this is just to mean just simply the body and just simply the soul. So that the suffering that Paul is talking about is just an external bodily suffering. But I don't think that that's the case. So what I think is going on here is Paul is describing two types of lives. So these lives that are attached to these realities of the inner self and the outer self. So when he talks about the outer self, he's talking about the outer life. He's talking about the physical life and everything that just goes with it. And also the spiritual life and everything that goes with it. And he says this outer or physical self is wasting away or decaying. So again, this verse is not just speaking about simply the body wasting away. You see, this verse is truly for all those who are possibly suffering injury, illness, or old age. And not just those things, but also the entirety of life on earth. We know that life isn't easy, do we? So therefore, none of us escapes this reality. Though every day we live on this planet is one day closer to the day that God has appointed for our own death, there is hope among that. So despite the decaying of our bodies and of our lives, this inner self or spiritual self, as Paul said, is being renewed. Now there is a necessary precondition here. And that precondition is the receipt of that spiritual life in the first place. Our minds should automatically be pointed to Jesus' words in John chapter 3, where Christ says that one must be born again. One must be born of spirit. So therefore, that necessary precondition to have this renewal on the inner man day by day means there must be this spiritual birth that is given to us by Christ alone. We must be made alive in Christ, and this happens through placing our faith in him. So one must believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, truly God and truly man, lived a perfect life according to the law, that he suffered a gruesome sinner's death on the behalf of all those who would place their faith in him, and he resurrected and ascended to heaven, just showcasing that that propitiation for our sins was accepted by God. And this is where we find that identity in Christ. We find identity in his suffering for us, but we also identify in his resurrection. So if we are to benefit from his resurrection, because we know we are looking forward to a resurrection of our own bodies, we must also know that this comes through suffering just as Christ did. This inner self is being renewed in in the image of its creator, and Colossians 3.10 says this to us. So this renewing of the inner self is a renewing through the mind by way of knowledge. So then, therefore, the truths of the word of God must enter through the mind before it can be believed in the heart. So this renewing is nothing like what other religions falsely proclaim. Where this renewing that they offer is through this detachment of body and mind through some sort of enlightenment meditation 
Now, meditation is key here, but it's meditation on something. We know if we go back to the Psalms, in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So there's this renewing of the inner self that comes from the Word of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this is why we read, right? The Word of God. This is why we study it. This is why we preach the Word. This is why we are here this morning and why we're here every Sunday to hear what God has in store for us. So therefore, every Sunday in the preached Word, every time we engage with the Bible, we are being renewed by the truths of God. Because we know that this strength that we need through suffering can only be found from him. And how do we get to know him? It's through his word. It's not through just quietly sitting and waiting for him to speak to us, which he doesn't. Not audibly anyways. But he speaks to us through his word. So this renewal of the mind is necessary through his word. And Paul succinctly sums this concept up in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. There he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So his words here really drive home the meaning of verse 16 in today's passage. So though this outer self or this physical life is wasting away, we are not to be conformed to it or consumed by it. We instead focus on God who renews us by his spirit day by day. Let's move to verse 17. There it says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, there's a Hebrew play on words here. Now, I know this original text was written in the Greek and not in the Hebrew, but, but Paul is really bringing to the reader's mind this Hebrew understanding of the word for God's glory. And that word is, in the Hebrew, kavod. See, this Hebrew word for glory really means this weightiness or value of God's glory. And what he's doing is he's making this, this comparison and this contrasting of our affliction compared to the weightiness of God's own glory and the value of God's glory. So what he's trying to engage the reader with is this concept that no matter what affliction we are facing, in comparison to the glory of God, it is light. See, what Paul is instructing his readers to do is to ponder the glory of God. To compare its weightiness and supreme value to all the things that we suffer and just really beg the question of us, what matters more? My oldest son, Colston, if you haven't met him, he's the the lanky one of my sons, the one who once signed up Batman for baptism. Uh, And if you ask him, even without... Uh, being prompted, he'll tell you how much he loves Sonic the Hedgehog. He's usually sleeping during the sermon, so I'm glad he's awake today. But sometimes seeing these kids, and especially mine, seeing him, you know, 
running through the hallways after service and before service every Sunday, I forget this road that God has brought us through to get here. So you couldn't tell except by the scars on his chest and through the ultrasounds he gets every few months or so that he has a congenital heart defect that he was born with. So we've been in and out of hospitals. We've had multiple open heart surgeries. And I remember those times and just when you're in that suffering, when you're in that affliction and you don't know when God is going to bring you out of it or if he will at all. You know, those times felt like we would never make it out of the hospital. Nonetheless, watch our son play video games on Sunday and be just a complete lunatic <laughs> with his friends here. And I absolutely love it. But I don't forget where we came from. And I remember just how long the time felt like, like an eternity. So I think what Paul is talking about here is he understands that though our affliction, our suffering feels heavy, and it feels like it's taking an eternity to get through in comparison to the eternity of God, in comparison to the eternal weight of God's glory, our affliction, our suffering is just light and it's momentary. See, it's not to say that Paul is devaluing suffering here. We know that Paul values suffering. Remember, Paul identifies in the very suffering with with Christ. But it's this suffering that conforms us into the image of Christ. And we know that this is true, as Paul states in Romans 8, 17, he says that we are heirs with Christ because we suffer with him. So therefore, also we will be glorified with him because of this suffering with him. So this emulating of Christ is not simply just doing good works like loving our neighbor, serving at church and in the community, sharing the gospel with others. No, no, it's not just those things. No, emulating Christ is suffering well, suffering Christ-like, suffering with dignity and with hope, not grumbling. Again, we know that this suffering that we have sometimes feels like it's unending, feels heavy and burdensome. But if we just looked at the very words of our own Savior, I think we'd uh, just be pointed to, just, just to this way in which we should have the correct perspective on, on what it means to truly suffer, what it truly means to carry the weight and the burden of it. But Christ says this in Matthew eleven thirty. He says, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Kind of an interesting thing to ponder, isn't it? That the weight of God and his glory is just a weight that is far surpassing than anything else, especially our affliction. But yet, taking upon us the yoke of Christ is light and easy. See, and as I elaborate more on this, this passage to come, we see that it makes so much sense why Christ is the only one that we can just place our burdens on. And why his yoke is the one that we should receive. So I want us to look a little bit in depth at this phrase, preparing for us. 
So yeah, I want us to make sure that we are not in error here as many have wrongly understood this passage. You see, our affliction itself is not preparing for us an eternal way of glory, meaning that it is not the cause for eternal life, or it is not meriting it for us. See, this is a grievous error that Rome has made for centuries, but the truth of the matter is that the eternal life that we have has already been merited for us, for us through the works of Christ himself. Because we know that we receive salvation by faith alone and not by works. So what does Paul mean here? What he means is, indeed, our suffering is working for us a reward in heaven, but we must remember that we are not earning heaven because of suffering. See, some would believe that there is some sort of justification from death itself or from a hard life so that somehow death itself or this painful life justifies a man or a woman and earns them this way into heaven. But through the knowledge of the gospel, we know this is not the case. See, one must be justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul says in Acts 14, 22, he says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. See, so it's of no controversy to say that suffering is necessary for the Christian life, and it is good, but it is not the means in which we earn heaven or we earn an eternal life with God. I think John Calvin puts it well where he says, Afflictions are the path by which the heavenly kingdom is arrived at. But we deny that by afflictions we merit the inheritance, which comes to us in no other way than through the means of God's own gracious adoption. Now verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now here is the key to which we can grasp what Paul is teaching for us to look to the unseen things and not focus in on the things that are seen. And we know this is not an easy task. See, our afflictions and our suffering call every bit of our attention. I think this is what tempts us into despair or losing heart or into this grumbling that I spoke of before. But we must... Realize that what Paul is calling us to is to have these heavenly eyes focused on things above and not completely on the things here that we're dealing with. So now we do need to attend to temporal things, though. So we must take care of our health and take care of our bodies. So what Paul is not doing is telling us to just completely disregard the temporal. No, no. See, as Christians, having a heavenly mindset should have us have even more so of a mind that takes care of what is temporal. This means we care about health, we care about doing a good job at work, we care about strengthening our own marriages and relationships with others, we care about raising our kids well, we care about maintaining a safe home, maintaining our our Christian duties, And also participating in the Great Commission. We care about this life. See, the gift of eternal life is not a license to neglect what is not eternal. 
But again, as Christians, it should have us just take even more care of it. You see, what Paul is really focusing on is just not be overcome by it. That's why we shouldn't worry. That's why we shouldn't lose heart. Because we know that these temporal things will eventually pass away, but we know that God's own glory, the eternity of heaven, will not. So if only we could just look heavenward, how much would our lives be comforted? If we could only just step away from our own strength, trying to get through whatever we're getting through, and we could just rest on Christ's. Hebrews chapter 11 or as some have called the hall of faith, begins by describing what faith is. And it says there, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now the goal of the writer of Hebrews is to describe all those faithful men and women of God and how they faithfully trusted in God, never seeing what was promised before receiving it. See, they looked to the unseen. And what they saw was they knew that based off the very character of God and his own faithfulness, that they could trust him and that he would honor what he had promised. We should live our lives faithfully, always looking to the unseen and not to what is seen. So maybe we just take the own suffering that we receive in our lives and realize that they are gifts from God. Suffering truly is. As hard as that may seem, it's our way to just be in the likeness of our own Savior. We should cherish suffering just as he did. Just as Glenn said before, there is hope knowing that he suffered far more than any one of us could suffer. See, there isn't a human, uh, single human out there who could ever suffer worse than what our Christ did for us. So we should never think that there is no compassion, that there is no hope, that there is no comfort that can be provided for whatever we are going through. So may we just look to him for that hope. May we look to him for all that we need to suffer well. To suffer hopefully. What a better way to just help share Christ with others, to be honest. Just based off my own experience, I think it's easier to share Christ when you're going through your own suffering. Because you know it's what gets you through your day, and you can see how it can help someone else. So we're not to take these treasures that we have in these jars of clay and just keep them for ourselves. What we should be drawn to is to share those riches with others. So we take our own suffering and just have it cause us to just share Christ with all those who ask us where to find our own hope. That's really all I have for us this morning. And I just want to end here. I want to read a little bit from Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30, where this is called the golden chain of salvation. 
You see, the promise here in these verses is this promise that is so tangible, so true that Paul uses the present tense to describe it. And he says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, the glorification that we receive at the end of this life is so sure. That Paul's speaking as if it has already happened. And truly, that is what happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not called to work out our salvation and hopefully we did enough at the end. No, it's to trust in his works that he already did for us. Knowing that we are absolutely assured that we will be glorified one day. When either Christ returns or when he calls us home. So may we just look to either of those days with hope. And may we find our comfort only in the place where we can find it, and that is in Christ. So church, may we just keep our gaze on heaven and look to him. And let us just end in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son to suffer in our place. So may we look to him for inspiration and for hope and for help amidst our own suffering, amidst our own afflictions. May the truths that Paul is speaking about here of this temporal life just passing away before our eyes, we know that there's this inner reality of our lives, our spiritual lives that are found only in you. So may we identify with Christ through faith. May we find hope through our suffering. And may you just cause it to just further sanctify us, further make us Christ-like through it. May we emulate him. And may we go forth sharing this hope that we have in him with all those who we know are suffering. May we be bold in this sharing of the gospel. May we be bold in this sharing of this truth that we can only find hope in Christ. God, may you just cause our own hearts to just continuously uh, just be built up by that fact. We know that we are assured that heaven is waiting for us. But God, sometimes we just hit times of despair, unfortunately. We suffer doubt that this is even true. But God, may we not just rest on our own understanding, but may we rest on your own character and your own promises and realize that you are a God of your word that you care for those whom you've called to yourself and not a single one of those who have given to your son Jesus will he let fall away. So God, we just thank you for this time and your word this morning. We just thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit taking this heart or taking this word and just writing it on our hearts. And God, we can't do any of this but through the mediation of Christ. So it is in his name that we pray these things to you. Amen. Now let's just respond in song.